that's okay. My wife's a gorilla too. Hello, my name is Will, and this is Exploding Helicopter, a hairy, chest-beating monstrosity of a podcast. Success breeds imitation, so when the 70s remake of King Kong proved to be a box office smash, it wasn't surprising that other enterprising filmmakers tried to get a piece of the action with their own big monkey running amok movies. One of those attempting to cash in on the public's newfound enthusiasm for simian-flavoured smash-em-ups were Hong Kong super producers, the Shaw Brothers, and the film they made was The Mighty Peking Man. And talking of untamed beasts dragged in from the wild and unable to comprehend civilization, my guest today is Nick Rehack from French Toast Sunday. <laughs> how are you doing, Nick? I'm doing well, well, how are you? I am really good, really good, and uh, thrilled as ever to have you on the show and to be talking about a film which uh, I think is a really fun time. Hopefully you had a fun time with it as well. Uh, as I have uh, already alluded to in the uh, introduction, though, this is a creature feature uh, movie. And, uh, you know, that's a kind of genre that, uh, you know, has been sort of knocking around to varying degrees or another there's been sort of ups and downs in that whole sort of movie genre i mean you sort of you can go back all the way to the 1930s with that then you sort of resurgence in the 50s and it's been sort of up and down with it there so i thought it'd be interesting um given it's such a sort of staple of uh hollywood production or sort of frankly uh movie making production around the world you know what did what's your sort of take on the uh whole creature feature genre well i grew up watching the godzilla films the ones from the 60s and 70s i wore out vhs tapes Oddly enough, though, one of my favorites was Godzilla vs. Biollante, which is just a massive plant that he fights, <laughs> which is – of all the things he's fighting, that one for some reason like just really caught my attention. But I've always been into like there's a big monster. They have to stop it. And I guess after a while, it's like what can you really – what ground can you tread? What more can you bring mm. to that genre? Um, recently with the Godzilla films, those have been exciting to see. I think at first it was more of like a touch of nostalgia. Um, then the most recent one, Godzilla King of the Monsters, that was massive nostalgia. I mean, I definitely wept in the theater with childhood joy. Um, and then obviously <laughs> later this year, Godzilla versus Kong, that's exciting. But if we look before that, we're not really getting like major blockbuster ones. There was Cloverfield and like, oh seven but i they just kind of died out and i wonder if people just either don't care or they're just worried more about i don't want to say gritty realistic but gritty and realistic films um i think and i think that's something that cloverfield did with it being you know point of view and adding a depth of like oh we this is intense this is scary mm. so i'm wondering if maybe appetites are just changing and you know it's one of the like we don't see musicals a lot either we get like one maybe two a year and the ones they do put out cats are terrifying so people don't <laughs> want to go see them yeah it's really interesting the point you make about the the the, the fact that creature features come and go in, in popularity and you know we've seen different decades in the past where they've been very popular and then there's been sort of long periods where they've effectively, you know, no one's made any of those type of films. And I think there's probably a couple of factors at play there. I, I think 
there is an element of just well you know how much can we do within these particular stories i mean how you know is there anything more interesting that we can we can say or do and um and i think one of the reasons why they then come back is that probably a passage of time goes by and then people then think well the special effects have have changed we can probably tell this story in a, in a slightly different way and i think that's one of the reasons why we've seen the comeback in the last however many years last sort of five ten years of some of these big budget creature features is because you know cgi computer generated special effects have have moved on you know in such a way that you can now do things that you just just wasn't possible and i think that's perhaps whetted filmmakers appetites for sort of going back to this particular genre Oh, I absolutely agree, and it allows the film to hold up better over time. Um, some of them, especially this one, do not age well at all, uh, <laughs> and they end up being, you know, B film fodder. Or they're going to show up at like a mystery science theater type program, um, and it's a shame because for their time, like growing up as a kid, you see these just massive monsters fighting each other, and it's like anything is possible. It, it ignites that imagination, and you get excited for stories like that, and you seek out other, you know, fantasy adventure stories, that kind of thing, but. It's just I, – I agree with you. I think now that there's a greater technology, there's a greater way and a more intriguing way to tell a story. Like if we wanted to, we could realistically do a Godzilla film from the point of view of Godzilla. I don't know how appealing that would be. I, I'd be interested. <laughs> but on a mass audience-wise, we can do and have effects, like you said, that they couldn't do before and have it look good. You know what I mean? Not just mm. like presentable or like, hey, we can get away with it. Like genuinely look good. Well, with all of that uh, said, let's uh, get stuck into uh, The Mighty Peking Man. So let's listen to the film's deliriously bonkers trailer. Deep in the steaming jungles of India, hidden from civilization, lives the legend of Goliathon and the untamed white goddess. For centuries, explorers have tried to conquer the legend and failed. Now one group of men are determined to succeed. Each step brings them closer to danger, closer to death. Each step brings them nearer the truth. The legend lives, Goliathon. To all that stand in his way, Goliathon is death and destruction. A giant ape called Mighty Peking Man has emerged following an earthquake in the Himalayas and has made its way to the Indian jungles. Hearing of this news, Johnny and a team of explorers set out on an expedition into the mountains to capture the Peking Man so they can exploit him as a kind of circus act. After a few adventures, the explorers discover the titular beast, a King Kong-like yeti that lives in the wilderness with a beautiful woman named Samantha. Samantha, who it's best to think of as a female Tarzan-like character, was raised by the Peking Man after the plane she was on with her parents crashed in the jungle. Johnny and his team capture the Peking Man and together with Samantha, who's now in love with Johnny, return to Hong Kong where they intend to put the mahusive monkey on display to the public. 
When they arrive in uh, Hong Kong, the relationship between Johnny and Samantha gets more complicated as she struggles with urban city life and secrets from Johnny's life are revealed. But all this is nothing when the Peking man who objects to being a tourist exhibit breaks loose and goes on the rampage in Hong Kong. The Mighty Peking Man came out in 1977. It was directed by Meng Hao Ho, apologies to any Cantonese listeners, who had a long career making martial arts films. As Johnny, the film stars Danny Lee, who is perhaps best known to a Western audience for his uh, roles in John Woo's The Killer and Ringo Lam's City on Fire. Samantha is played by uh, Evelyn Craft, who had a short-lived career as an actress. And there's a blink-and-you'll-miss-it appearance by a very young Chow Young-Fat. The film has a 5.3 rating on IMDb and a 38% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. However, over the years, The Mighty Peking Man has become something of a cult classic, so much so that Quentin Tarantino bankrolled a re-release of the film in the late 90s on his Rolling Thunder label. So, with all that out of the way, Nick, what did you make of The Mighty Peking Man? I had a lot of fun. Uh, it is a very bizarre movie, um, but you know, the first 10 minutes, I'm like, what the hell did Will convince me to watch? But the more I watched it, the more I like weirdly enjoyed it. And I can completely see how this becomes a cult classic. There are so many problems with the effects. The story is like half cobbled together, which makes it reminiscent or reminiscent of, you know, other creature features where the story it doesn't have to make sense. It really doesn't matter because it all ends the same. It all ends up being, hey, we have to take this thing out. And it just – at some points it makes sense and it's great. And other points I'm like, what are we doing here? Just get to the <laughs> just get to the monster. But I, I do like that it wasn't overblown. It wasn't like hmm. this hour 42-hour thing. It was cut dry to the point like, like 86, 80-some minutes or maybe even like just cracking 90. Like it was it was just the right length. Yeah, I would uh, echo your thoughts about this being a very, very bizarre film. I mean, it's got action, it's got romance, it's got terrible special effects, it's tonally all over the place. I mean, you've got, uh, as you say, the story takes lots of, you know, slightly weird twists and turns, but you know, and none of it really seems to really ultimately matter because they're just like, oh, OK, we're going to throw in some a bit more action and we're just moving along to the next thing. I mean, it's, this is a really brisk film. So, you know, even if things don't make sense, you know, we're on to something else. Uh, there's something else uh, happening in this film. So, I mean, it just is. Uh, I, I mean, I found it uh, totally bizarre, very strange, but wildly entertaining. Oh, absolutely entertaining. And and what's really interesting is all the different types of effects that they try to employ. Um, there's like screen cropping where they just try to superimpose an image on top of something else that's going. They rely a lot on rear screen projection. But unlike a 2001 Space Odyssey where you cannot tell the difference, <laughs> you can tell the difference. And in fact, if anyone's watching this, feel free to go to the 9 minute and 36 second mark. You can see the wrinkles in the curtain <laughs> that they're using for the rear projection. It is so absurd. And like around that time too, in the very beginning of the film, there's a massive uh, destruction of a village scene. And you can actually see the tow cables pulling on the buildings in order to tear them down. 
I think my favourite part of the special effects was the was the mighty Peking man himself, who you know in oh. the in the classic tradition of uh, these types of films is basically played by a, a man in a rubber suit. But to be honest, it doesn't look too bad for films of the time. I'm, I'm being very charitable there. But the, the the one detail though that did constantly amuse me throughout the film was the fact that. There was very clearly a gap between the uh, the mask uh, and where yes. his, and where his eyes started. So there's quite... <laughs> it bothered me so much. I'm like, you couldn't have taken the extra ten seconds to just put a little makeup around the eyes and just really add in. It was too much of a bother. And and then there were times where they would cut to this like animatronic claymation type face or mm. or uh, close up, and I'm like, what are what are we doing this for? Just you got the guy in the suit. Just use that. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. There's yeah, there's yeah. no consistency, but I think that adds to the enjoyment and the bizarreness of the film. I I completely agree. I think the the you know they use the full suite of special effects that are available to them. You know, as you say, it would be so much better if they just used. Um, the guy in the rubber suit, and they kind of stuck with one type of special effect. But by trying to employ the whole suite of them, it just heightens the fact that they are using all these different special effects. None of them are terribly convincing, and it just adds to that sort of jarring element of the of the film. But you know, ultimately, you you can't help but just uh, I think love this film. Yeah, and and I tell you what, with the effects, they rely heavily on models. I mean, mm. good gracious. At times, I'm like, we couldn't have tried a little bit harder. You couldn't have paid off somebody or convinced somebody, hey, let me borrow some tanks for a little bit. It, after a while, it looks like a, a kid made the movie. And I appreciate them taking the effort to like really try to sell it as is. But sometimes I'm like, man, we could have really stepped up and done something. You could have just reused footage from, from another movie. Something like almost looks like a train garden or like a model – like a model kit that a kid put together, but you take it, you you get what you get. Well, I want to spend a moment uh, digging a little bit into the story of this film, and like many other creature features, uh, you know, this film seems to have a, a sort of message around the fact that actually man is the real animal. Um, but you know, from watching this film, I mean, that's something that you conclude you know, after you sort of sit through this whole movie. But I'm not actually sure how intentional an aim that was for the director. I mean, I don't know if you were as puzzled as I was by the the messages and the thoughts that this film left you with. I think they originally met, uh, had that intention for our eventual antagonist of the film, how he kind of leaves his men behind, how later on he tries to lead this uh, battalion to, you know, capture Utam and then eventually, like, use him just as a circus animal, as in, like, Utam has more of a personality and more human than this guy here who's just, you know, in for the greed, in for the money, and it's just, he's using his base instincts to get ahead in life. So I can see them wanting to do it with that character, but the rest of the film, it quickly, I would agree with you, evolves into where, you know, man is, is you know, a worse animal. And and because it's just so multifaceted, it's not just that character. It's just about every character except for Samantha. Mm. Everybody does something that you know is going back to like an animal instinct or just not caring for their fellow man. And it's like it's 
it's weird at times because I don't know I don't know who to root for. Like I, I mm. obviously I want Utam to survive and I want Samantha and, her, and him to get back to the jungle. But outside of that, I'm like, ah, I'm not I'm not convinced that anybody's a good person here. Well, I think that is exactly the the point which makes this film so confusing is you don't really know who you're supposed to be rooting for. So there are these two main characters in the film. You've got uh, Johnny, who is this uh, explorer who leads the expedition to to find Utam or the Peking Man, as he's uh, he's called in the, in this film, and. To be honest, he's really a bit of a dick in this film. Um, you also have this character who's called uh, Lutien, who is the person who is bankrolling this expedition. And he is a very black and white character. I mean, he's just like jet black villain. He's a very one dimensional character. And it's very clear what his his role in the film is. But Johnny, you know, he gets involved in this expedition because... You know, he's broken up with his girlfriend. He's heartbroken. So he's got nothing better to do. So he gets involved in this this ex- expedition. Um, he then ends up, you know, finding the Peking man, getting into this relationship with Samantha. But as soon as he's back in Hong Kong, he's banging his ex-girlfriend. And, you know, Samantha finds out about that. She's really she's really upset. And it's just like the film doesn't really sort of seem to have a reason for doing you know for messing around with the characters lives in in the way that it does it's like well that conflict that is created with samantha i mean it does play out over the rest of the film but it's like well i don't really understand what you're trying to tell me with this character acting in the way that he is yeah and with his you know girlfriend at the time uh wife whatever the relationship was you know sleeping with another man he's heartbroken Okay, you know, why go back and try to figure things out? What's the connection there? You're with someone new, Mm. obviously someone very different, someone very exciting. (laughs) But when he reconnects with, you know, his ex and, you know, they start to, you know, the intimacy starts to develop again. Samantha walks in, catches them, and then he's like, I'll explain later and just leaves. (laughs) (laughs) And then we never see that character again. We never see her again. It's not like at the end of the film he goes back or he explains. Mm. And then Samantha's running around trying to uh, save Utam. And then when he finds Samantha, it's like we got – like nothing's wrong. Like nothing happened. There's no like what were you doing back there? And he's like, I'm sorry. There was none of that. It's just, hey, we got to go do this thing. Oh, okay. (laughs) No no emotion, no depth, no growth, nothing. And it's just – Everybody's one note, and even the only thing with Johnny is sometimes he changes his note. Like in the very beginning of the film, he's drunk at a bar, <laughs> and the guy says, "Hey, you want to go on this exposition or ex uh, expedition?" He's like, "I don't care what it is, I'll do it." <laughs> you don't want to know anything else. It's like Johnny, I've got this body that I got to bear. I don't care what it is, I'll do it. Okay, you're gonna be an accessory to. I don't care what it is, I'll do it. It's yeah. like. Okay, so you you're so heartbroken that you've turned to drinking, and magically you're just ready to do whatever. There's no pulling, there's no prodding, mm. nothing. You're just ready to go. From watching this film, I started to notice that actually there's quite a lot of um, sex in this film, or sex as sort of character motivation. But again, it's all all very very confusing. Um, you know, so as we've already spoken about, you know. Johnny's motivation for going on this expedition is the fact that he's broken up with his broken up with his girlfriend. He then gets into a, a relationship with Samantha, but then 
the Peking man, Utam, notices this, you know, sexual relationship between uh, Johnny and Samantha and is quite clearly jealous of this of this relationship. And we there's a, 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 a very strange scene where he's having a bit of a strop uh, at having caught them uh, getting jiggy in a little cave uh, in some uh, t- uh, on, on some robes and some leaves where they're uh, making out. Then later in the film, we see Johnny deciding to kind of, you know, get back together with his uh, his old girlfriend. Samantha spots this. She gets upset. Then there's a very odd scene where uh, Lutien, the the kind of the as we say the by the numbers villain of this particular fe- uh, particular film, decides to try and uh, rape Samantha. And Utam spots the uh, spots that happening, and that's the the thing which uh, enrages him so much that he's able to to sort of break loose from his chain so there you know sex uh, as a theme just runs throughout this whole film as a, a sort of motivation but none of it really none of it really makes sense no and that that rape scene by the way is really just unfortunate i don't even think it was needed i think he could have just captured her pulled her away and her screaming no no and just had the illusion to it would mm. have been okay but there's this weird like he's pouring alcohol over her he's like weirdly kissing her face he's like forcing himself on her in this really uncomfortable way he rips her top off right and then she hurries up and covers up which her, she's exposed most of the time in that top anyway so part of me is like what's the big deal here like you're practically running around topless but at the same time, I get it. He's a creep and she don't want any part of that. But even when uh, she gets bitten by a snake, right, mm. and Johnny's sucking out the poison <laughs> in a bizarrely <laughs> sexual way and she's reacting in a way where I don't know if it hurts. I don't know if it feels good. There's just a lot of mixed messages, a lot of mixed messages. Yeah, I mean, if you'd missed the uh, moment where Samantha gets bitten at the top of her thigh by the snake, I mean, you 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 could read that sequence of the film in a completely completely different way. And oh, I yeah. don't really I don't really think the filmmaker really knows what he's doing. I I, I just think he's just throwing everything at the screen. Just yeah. you know, just, just I'm just putting incident on the screen. You might like it, you might not. But if I put enough of if I put enough stuff up there. There'll probably be something that you'll like and, you know, you'll come away happy from this film. And you know what? There's a lot of stuff they could have cut and they could have easily cut this down to an hour. That's how much extra they just throw into the film. Even extended scenes of like people reacting to things. They even reuse several scenes for reaction shots. Mm. And the and the very poor acting is in each shot. What's bizarre to me and I still don't understand they play a lot with these animals in the jungles. They play with tigers. They play with leopard. And I'm wondering how in the actual hell did they pull this off? Because they are like roughhousing with these tigers Mm. and no one's dying. The tiger's not just on a dime changing his attitude and ripping them to shreds. Are you kidding me? What was there's that's nothing to do with the rest of the film. It's it's literally he falls in love with Samantha they're swimming in a lake near or in a in a water source of some sort near a waterfall, having a laugh. They're having sex, and all of a sudden they're just rolling around with a leopard and like petting a tiger and stuff. <laughs> and 
I'm like, what is happening? Who is it just to show off like, yeah, this guy knows how to wrangle cat, big cats and everything. It's like, what? That, and, and I can understand if they're showing us these abilities and it applies later on to something. Mm. But it, it goes nowhere. It's just doing it to do it. And going back to your point, I think that's what the filmmaker was. He's like, you know what? Let's just do it. We're here. Let's roll around with a tiger and be totally cool. Like, I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, at the beginning of the at the beginning of the film, they they start off in this expedition, and, and it, you know, and in the first two or three minutes of this film, you have a scene where there's a big elephant stampede, um, there's a yeah. tiger attack, um, there's also a bit where several members of the expedition like fall into quicksand and get sucked under under the you know under the under the sand and and die, uh, you know, so they're just. They're just throwing incident out there. I mean, none of it, you know, just it's just none of it's really on the screen long enough to really have an effect. It's just like, wow, you know, what can we, you know, we're in a jungle. What can we do here? Oh, we'll have snakes attack elephants, quicksand. Just pile it all on, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see what lands. We'll see what sticks. And part of me at first was like, did I pick the right movie to watch? Because. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. I think I got the wrong kind of film. It felt like almost like a weird, at some points, like softcore porn because of just the interactions with the other female characters and the music. I genuinely loved the score. I will admit there's something about this music that just brings joy to my face. But at the same time, it's like, you know, one or two more notes and it is very borderline sexual. Mm. And I think that, I I have to agree with you. I don't think the filmmaker quite knew that he was putting those themes and having those references in there, but maybe he was. Maybe this is like a really bizarrely tongue-in-cheek kind of movie, and he's like, yeah, look at this. Like it's Maybe it's a weird metaphor for sex as well. I don't know what kind of metaphor, but there's <laughs> enough in there to where you could kind of like you know put something together. Now, if there's one thing that uh, audiences want from a, a creature feature, it's lots of uh, building, smashing mayhem. I mean, did you get your quota from this film? Oh, and then some. There is so much destruction. Uh, even in the be- in the very beginning, uh, when you know the elephant stampede and they're just destroying that. Anytime they had a chance to destroy, I don't think there's anything they came in contact with that they didn't destroy. Um, when <laughs> Utam's first on top of the building and you have you know the fire trucks coming in, and then you have these huge gas tankers coming in, I'm like, oh yeah, they're gonna explode because there's no reason a massive gas tanker mm. should be pulling up right now. <laughs> <laughs> like what is it gonna do what are they gonna spray it with gas like that don't make any sense but no there was absolute destruction and it checked a lot of boxes were checked for me okay we're going to take a quick break and uh, when we come back we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action on the simplistic reviews podcast we talk movies we talk tv we talked. Hello, Julie. What the heck are you doing? Trying to make our spot sound more exciting by adding explosions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have got the point across with sound effects, not the real thing. Download the show on iTunes or at simplisticreviews.blogspot.com. I'm sure your insurance company will cover that. No, they won't. No, they probably won't. 
We're back and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. Just like King Kong, the climax of this film sees the oversized ape attempting to take refuge on top of a skyscraper. But as soon as he reaches the top of the building, the gigantic gorilla finds himself being attacked by four or five machine gun firing helicopters. In time-honoured fashion, our hairy hero starts swatting at the aerial irritants. One of the helicopters flies too close and receives a heavy thwack. The damaged aircraft plummets towards the ground, where, with credulity stretching bad luck, happens to crash into a fuel truck. And if that wasn't unlucky enough, the fuel truck is parked on the forecourt of the petrol station. Cue an enormous explosion. Nick, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action? I was very much looking forward to it because with the creature feature, it gives the option that something can interact with the helicopter when it explodes or causing it to explode. Uh, much like in Dragon Wars, how they can attack the copter, bring it down in many different creative ways. Uh, when you have normally just you know, a missile or a gun or, or a dogfight, uh, you don't really get – I mean you're just shooting at it and hoping to buzz it or clip it or something. But here you have a chance to really do something creative. And I do like uh, you know, the classic SmackDown where he just hits it. It almost looks like he grabs it and throws it down towards mm. the ground, but it is just a really, really hard smack and just a massive, massive fiery explosion. What I do like – you don't really get to see it a lot is the people around the area on fire, running away, freaking out. Rarely do we get the after effects. It's usually an explosion in the distance or an explosion close enough to the characters where they're blown back a little bit, but then they're okay and they keep going. This time we see general panic and you know people are just losing their minds, which I thought probably not intentional, but I thought it was a nice touch and it was something different and exciting to see. Yeah, I I uh, enjoyed the uh, I think the overkill of uh, of this uh, exploding helicopter. So as you say, it's 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 thrown to the ground by uh, the Peking man, and uh, you know it's a bit of a classic trope, isn't it? Where uh, you know an edge, you know, it tends to be with a car cra uh, car chase where uh, a vehicle will you know that's been chasing somebody else will spin out of control into uh you know into a fuel truck so i enjoyed um that particular sort of trope from the world of the car chase being employed uh here to in the uh, explosion of a of a helicopter and uh yeah i particularly enjoyed the fact that they just thought mm, you know what there just might not be enough available petrol in the back of a fuel truck let's have that fuel truck right on the forecourt of a petrol station just so that we can uh, really uh, let rip with the uh, with the pyrotechnics yeah and it's one of those where oh let's let's let it do this and just so happen i'm all for a massive explosion because sometimes when you get a helicopter that explodes and it's just this little little plume right of fire <laughs> and smoke it's a little underwhelming and a little disappointing but to see just mass explosion oh i'm there all day long yeah and, you know, I really, in terms of the special effects of this film, you know, I really enjoyed seeing, um, you know, a man in a rubber suit, you know, swatting at a toy helicopter, which I assume was sort of suspended on the bit of string or something. Oh, it had to have been. And I think there might have been might even be some scenes where we see the string dangling around. I didn't <laughs> I didn't look that hard. But if we could see the tow cables when the village is getting destroyed, I'm fairly certain we're going to see some fishing lure which I'm sure that's all it was. I'm surprised it was an actual string itself, but just fishing lore holding it around as it buzzes around. and uh, oh. It's magical. 
But uh, I might need to uh, induct King Kong into uh, my Hall of Fame of uh, exploding helicopter actors because uh, uh, in his, uh, you know, different filmic appearances, he's uh, starting to really rack up the uh, exploding helicopters because in the uh, Dino uh, Dolorentis uh, 70s version of King Kong, he... uh, Get, he blows up a helicopter in that film. He dispatches a, a, another one. If we're going to uh, assume that the Peking Man is basically King Kong by another name, I think we can uh, rack up a, we can chalk up uh, another helicopter for him in this film. And then obviously in the latest iteration of Kong, Kong Sky Island, he uh, takes care of a of a whole squadron of uh, helicopters in that movie. And uh, you know he may well now be uh, up there with people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone as uh, as one one of the sort of on-screen most destructive characters getting rid of uh, helicopters. And you also got to think, too, you had the original Godzilla versus King Kong in the mid-70s that came out and the Peter Jackson iteration of King Kong. Now, I feel like it was more prop planes and fighter pilots than it was mm. helicopters, but there's still a chance that it might be out there. But I wholeheartedly agree that he needs to be in there because <laughs> he's been putting some numbers up. And they're not rookie numbers. He is... He is letting everybody know who's boss. I, he probably has even more than Godzilla, and Godzilla has loads of movies. <laughs> okay, I think that just about wraps things up for this show. Nick, thanks for uh, helping me out with this review. Um, you know, what's going on with uh, French Day Sunday at the moment? Uh, at the moment, we just got back from holiday break. Uh, we recorded an episode as of this recording this past Monday. Uh, we discussed our most anticipated films for 2020, gave us just a little bit of a buffer so we can catch up on some films that we might have missed in 2019. Uh, we're going to have our massive top 10 of 2019 episode coming through. But this is a big year for French Toast Sunday. We are turning 10 years old. Uh, so a lot of lists this year are going to be looking back on the past decade of French Toast Sunday, the past decade of film. It's going to be big. It's going to be encompassing. It's going to be a massive retrospective. We're very excited for all these episodes coming up. Uh, we're on a bi-weekly schedule for the moment. We might jump into a weekly, but for now, bi-weekly. Uh, of course, you can find us FrenchToastSunday.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you enjoy this podcast, then you might like our website where we've got uh, hundreds of reviews of films with exploding helicopters and lots of information about the strange way they explode in films. Um, So you can find that uh, at explodinghelicopter.com. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.